Morning, Glory America, Bolger High, Canada. That music means from the ReliefFactor.com studio. It is time for the Hillsdale Dialogue once a week. The last radio hour of my week each week. I sit down with either Dr. Larry Arn or one of his great colleagues this week, Dr. Matthew Spalding, head of the Kirby Center in the shadow of the Capitol, to discuss the big issues, uh, both historically all the way back to Homer up to the present day and this week with the retirement of Justice Kennedy from the Supreme Court. Dr. Spalding and I are going to focus on the Supreme Court. Good morning, Matthew. How are you? Good, good, good morning. Just pointing out that the Kirby Center is in the shadow of the Supreme Court building, too. Oh, that's right. You've got two shadows on you. <laughs> right and, and, right uh, around the corner. So uh, we're right behind it. Yeah. Let, let me start with uh, just cutting to the chase. My, we'll, we'll talk about the consequences of this. I have a, a morning line that I publish on likely nominees. Two to one odds for Raymond Kethledge of Michigan and Brett Kavanaugh of D.C. Three uh, to one odds for Amy Barrett, Joan Larson, and Meg Ryan. Four to one odds for Amul Thapar, David Strauss, and Don on Willett. How do you uh, how do you view my tote board? Uh, that's not that's not bad. I, I think um, you know Kethledge, Michigan, put Stabenow on a spot. I, I, I'm actually big on uh, Amy Barrett, uh, Indiana. Donnelly and Manchin have both voted for her in the past. She's a Scalia clerk, and uh, you know she's got a lot of stuff going forward. If, if nothing else, she also has the dogma burning in her very brightly. Or whatever uh, you know, there is a political case to be made for either Amy Barrett or Joan Larson. But here's the thing I'm worried about. Uh, and, and just talk to me about this. With It's not so much a concern with Willett uh, or David Strauss, uh, but I am concerned about people whose record of dealing with administrative state issues is thin. And uh, I, I want to see someone like Kethledge has go hammer and tong with the administrative state, take on the IRS, take on Chevron, uh, write about how one must never use statutory history as a guide to a decision. Uh, I think he's Gorsuch 2.0, and he's a, unfortunately... He's a Michigan fan. I mean, the guy is a Michigan, uh, <laughs> and he well, went so, there undergrad so and law school. Let's think about it more broadly. Uh, you're, we're potentially moving into a situation where you now have a majority, and the Chief Justice, Roberts, is now your quote-unquote swing vote. Um, we should now be thinking like a majority, which is to say that you have people on your team that are experts, just like in baseball. So you have Gorsuch on your bench, who's an administrative law expert who's going to kill Chevron. And there was an interesting case uh, this term in which Justice Kennedy took a shot at Chevron. I don't know if you caught that. I did in a footnote. That, you bet. That's that's going going its way. So you got that guy. Let him go. Um, and you have other experts. And think about it that way. I think that if you've got a powerful argument coming from a Gorsuch, and they're leading the charge on Chevron, these other justices are not going to vote against that. Let, let me let me make a counterargument to you, Dr. Spaulding. Uh, you have Justice Thomas who's suspicious of Chevron, and you have Justice Gorsuch who's suspicious of Chevron, and Justice Alito who is suspicious of Chevron. If you add one more power hitter on Chevron doctrine, which is, by the way, the administrative state relies upon right. Chevron, and I want the right. audience, I'll let you explain it in a second. If you've got four for sure, the chief has to go with them. If you've Correct. only got three and you've got a, a young justice who may or may not be deeply embedded into anti-administrative state thinking, they might go with the chief if the chief is inclined to move a little more slowly. I think he's very reliable. I'm, I'm 100% reliable. He's just very much an institutionalist as well. If you want to rush the door on Chevron, I think you put Kethledge on. 
Okay, I I can see your point. I'm just wondering if that's too... uh, I I think the logic against Chevron... I mean, look, Kennedy, in in, in his concurrence, um, said we've gone way too far with Chevron. I think that if, if you're a if you're getting a jurist who is generally a constitutional, general, structural uh, jurist who's going to look at laws the way they ought to be looked at, Chevron falls. Okay, and I, 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 I agree with that. They, you know, the, in the power of the logic, so I, I think we should not appoint them for a specific thing that way. I think we should broaden it to put, pick somebody who we know is going to be there for a while, who's got very good qualifications, who writes well, and uh, is not going to change over time. The, the big lesson here, I think, if you look at, you know, Kennedy's leaving. Kennedy was a philosophical chameleon all over the place. He loved doing what he was doing. He had no judicial philosophy. And what, we've, what, what he represents and points us towards, if you compare him to, say, Gorsuch or Scalia or Thomas Alito, is that it's taken two decades for Republicans to f- learn how to make good appointments to the Supreme Court. And the way you do that is you don't pick somebody for a narrow reason or because somehow they've hidden their opinions. You want to get someone who's a solid jurist all around, and likely they're going to then follow that. They will continue to follow that logic, uh, and that would... Uh, Lock them in as part of that majority. Uh, and I want to add a couple lessons to this. David Souter is our great lesson giver, right? State right. Supreme Court, Johnson, and who swears by him. But a state Supreme Court does not produce a record of decisions on federal law, which is binding. That's why I like Kavanaugh and Ketledge. They both have federal law binding decisions, and not just on the administrative state. I need Smith to be overturned. I don't know if you're uh, a Smith expert, but it's Justice Scalia's one bad decision. Smith yep. versus yep, no, I, agree. I agree with that. Got to be overturned. So I, I need yep. someone. Kethledge, by the way, fills the bill, and I don't think Kavanaugh has weighed in on religious liberty. Kethledge has stood up for uh, free exercise clause rights repeatedly. I need someone as well. Yeah. Who, it, 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 on, on, on that point, I think Kethledge is, is, is a strong pick, uh, and you know I, I would put him very high on the list uh, as well. And I think there are a lot of things there that Kavanaugh hasn't gotten into, which uh, and I think, Second uh, Amendment rights. Kethledge has has ruled in Tyler versus Hillsdale yep. County Sheriff's yep. Department. I mean, he's he's got the the markers. No one does has a Roe v. Wade opinion. That's good among all these people because that's what the left is obsessing about. But we have five, six, seven, eight great nominees, right? We've got eight great Absolutely. nominees. How much do you put into the politics of it? Because as you point out, Barrett puts Joe Donnelly in a corner. Either Kethledge or Larson puts Debbie Stabenow in a corner with John yep. James making a run at it. How much should that enter into the president's thinking? Oh, I actually think in this case it should enter into it uh Somewhat considerably, if and I'm I, I'm giving him some some credit here. If not him, the people behind him are thinking this through. This is why I go back to two decades of Republican appointments. We have now got in place some serious thinking about how to reshape the courts over time, which means they're looking right now at replacing Kennedy. Keeping in mind that if you um, uh, look at the sitting justices of the court right now. Ginsburg is 85, um, you know, it's very likely that, uh, you know, he's going to have another appointment. 
And right now, I would say Trump's likelihood of getting <laughs> reelected, given this appointment, uh, has gone up. So it's very likely he'll get a third appointment. Uh, so they're playing this game, I think, out, out, out farther and putting a team together. And that means he needs to strengthen his hand in the Senate. So, yeah, I think politics has to be part of this, not in the narrow sense, but in the grand sense of how do you use politics to try to reshape the direction of the country? That's what it's supposed to be about. And I think that's perfectly legitimate. And I think that leans, Matt Spaulding, towards Larson or Kethledge because Indiana, we're going to win. Michigan is not so certain. It it only went for Trump by 12,000 votes. But if you put up Kethledge or Larson, a Michigan... Uh, circuit court judge or a yeah, Michigan no, state. I, I, that, I, I, think, I think at that point, that's probably right. I mean, Michigan, you put Michigan play, that really changes things. It, it, it really does. Let's go back to, uh, for the moment, though, uh, Amy Barrett. Uh, she was attacked for her Catholicism by Dianne Feinstein. I wouldn't mind having that argument either. Uh, I, and Don Willett was attacked for a good sense of humor. I wouldn't mind having that argument either. David Strauss was was attacked because Al Franken didn't like him. I wouldn't mind having that argument either. And Amul Thapar, uh, Thapar uh, would be the first Indian American. I wouldn't mind yep. sending that message either. There are really a the one I just don't get right now is Mike Lee, and I love Mike Lee. Right, his jurisprudence would be good. I don't get opening up a Senate seat to competition. Yeah. Well, what I, do you think? I, I, yeah, I, I don't think that's going to happen. And and I think that he's I'm, I'm not sure his temper is 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 right for the Supreme Court to be honest. Uh, but I, I think right now the uh, the appointing a political figure. I mean, you would think you would consider a senator if that's absolutely necessary to get the confirmation. It's not. Uh, so I think I think that that's uh, uh, you know less likely. I, I think you look at this appointment, uh, keeping in mind you highly highly likely you're going to have another appointment. I mean, the the advantage of Barrett is she's 46. She can come up next time. Uh, true. You can put her on the bench and get her get a few opinions out of her, too. I'll be right back, America. Don't go anywhere. Matt Spaulding and I are obsessing on the Supreme Court because that is an issue for the ages. It is the Hillsdale Dialogue. All things Hillsdale at Hillsdale.edu. All of our previous conversations collected at Hugh4Hillsdale.com. Welcome back, America. It's Hugh Hewitt from the ReliefFactor.com studio. I am joined by Dr. Matthew Spaulding. He is, of course... The head of the Kirby Center, Hillsdale College's Lantern of Reason in the Shadow of the Capitol and the Court. Today we are talking about the Supreme Court. In the aftermath of the retirement of Justice Kennedy, I will be talking with uh, his colleague, Dr. Larry Arn, on my MSNBC show about the same thing tomorrow morning at 8 a.m. across the United States, 8 a.m. Eastern, because it matters so much. And let's before I re- resume my advocacy for Raymond Kethledge, who I do not know, by the way, uh, I just I just I study this stuff for this is for me like um, uh, the NBA finals or the World Series. You got to get this right. We blew suitors so badly. We yep, cannot yep. do that again. Right. We have to get this right. So I study it. Let's go back and talk about Anthony Kennedy, uh, Matt Spaulding, and why, if someone listens to the Hillsdale Dialogue today, hillsdale.edu, why he was a disappointment to Ronald Reagan and everyone. He was put on after Doug Ginsburg withdrew, after Robert Bork was slandered. uh, And he disappointed even as he ruled correctly in this final June of his term on every single case. Um, it would go. It goes back to this, you know, broader thing. I mean, let's, let's you know, go back. To, you, you can go, go all the way back to Eisenhower and Earl Warren. I mean, you know, Nixon gave us Blackman and Powell. Um, how do you pick Supreme Court justices? What, what's the responsibility? 
This goes back to a fundamental problem in in how a lot of people think about the Constitution. Uh, Congress, the executive uh, judges, they take an oath to the Constitution, and in um, uh, their job and and carrying out their duties are to uphold that document, which is not this legalistic technical thing, but this document that allows us to to rule ourselves in self-government, this structural document, it allows for uh, Republican government, uh, which is to say that if so that the president, in making appointments to another branch, the court, which is a key aspect of, of how our separation of power system works and checks and balances, he makes an appointment to the court, his first responsibility is to put somebody there who he thinks or he or she thinks will do their primary job, which is to look at cases and controversies before them and decide what the Constitution directs them to, to, to decide about that law or action uh, relative to the Constitution. That's uh, their, 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 their first job. And it requires modesty. It requires yeah. modesty and honesty in the interviewing process. That's and right. I believe That's right. a record of decisions from the bench. And, and Republicans in the past have been trying to be clever, or they've appointed people for different reasons, and it just has not worked out well. So uh, with, with Justice Kennedy, yes, his, his decisions this term, he, every 5-4 decision this term, he's sided with the conservatives. And actually, I think he probably did that because he knew it was his last term, and he wanted in that way. So he gets uh, plaudits uh, all around. And I will give him credit for that. But prior to this term, his whole career, he is the justice who was in, uh, involved in the most 5-4 decisions ever, and almost always, he was on the other side of those decisions. Uh, let me dissent a little bit. Uh, he was on Citizens United and on First Amendment issues, striking down McCain-Feingold. He was terrific. On um, uh, Commerce Clause jurisprudence, he was terrific. Where he went awry was on redistricting and opening the door, and especially on the privacy clauses that overruled the will of the people with regards to marriage, even as it was changing in real time before our eyes. He, he did disappoint on uh, due process, equal protection, the Romer cases, but he did deliver on First Amendment, Matt, pretty consistently. No, that's true, and there, there's a certain libertarian streak in Kennedy, which, which yep. you see coming out in these recent cases, and, and to his credit, uh, I, I will give that to him. Uh, but, but his philosophy, his way of approaching the, 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 the decisions and the court, it's hard to uh, imagine a justice who was more focused on this idea of being a swing judge and following his opinions his own opinions, and writing these grandiose decisions about the meanings of the universe and one's ability to define the universe, uh, then Justice Kennedy. He really defined that approach to the Constitution. Now, his own libertarianism allowed him sometimes to get things right, but it was very rare that he came back to the actual Constitution in a substantive way to make decisions. That was and not his guiding I philosophy. agree. I agree. It was, it was, we'll talk more about this. It's fascinating who is leaving and who is coming. Remember that name, Kethledge. I'll be right back, America. It's the Hugh Hewitt Show. Welcome back, America. It's Hugh Hewitt. Thank you for listening from the ReliefFactor.com studios. It is the Hillsdale Dialogue. All things Hillsdale are collected at Hillsdale.edu. Great online courses about the Constitution. Amazing courses on Churchill and the progressive movement. Every conversation I've had with every member of the Hillsdale team dating back to 2013 are collected for your 
your binge listening at HughForHillsdale.com. My guest today, not Dr. Larry Arn, he'll be joining me on my MSNBC Saturday show tomorrow morning at 8 a.m. to talk about the Supreme Court vacancy uh, that created in the aftermath of the retirement of Justice Kennedy. But Matt Spaulding, Dr. Spaulding, is the director of the Kirby Center in Washington, D.C., where Hillsdale has its lantern outpost lighting up freedom for both the Congress and the Supreme Court with the extended discussions on a daily basis, not just with students, but with legislators about all things originalism. And let's go there, Matt Spaulding. Would you define originalism? Because I use the term a lot, and I'd love to hear if your definition and mine concur. Uh, well, sure. The, the, I think we, we, we back up and have to talk about, it, about the Constitution. What is the role of the Constitution in our country? When we talk about originalism, I'm not sure I necessarily like the word, uh, but it implies that somehow that document is crucially important. It's, it's the highest law in our land. Uh, it's the supreme law. But the way our American judicial system works, the oldest law, in this case the Constitution, is actually the first law, the primary law. Everything needs to be done in light of that. So an originalist means that we go back to that document. Uh, there are different gradations of are you more of a textualist like Scalia was? You have a broader understanding of originalism. Does your originalism include um, uh, a broader understanding of intent, which looks to the broader philosophical uh, intentions of the founders? That's the con- within the conservative debate, which is a great debate, and there's some variation. But the general point, which I think is not merely a debatable point, but a necessity of constitutionalism and the way our system in particular is designed is you have to go back to the document of the Constitution precisely because it is the only document that is is fully uh, grounded in the intent of the of the people it is the source of all of the powers in the courts in the Congress and the executive and it is the one document the only document that uh, they can go to for their full uh, legitimacy, which means that in making their decisions, they've got to go there. Anything else uh, is not only not originalism, but it's really not constitutionalism in, in the broadest sense of the term. I agree with all that. I just want to make an addendum. It is a absolute necessity that the amendments to the Constitution be considered in the same light, so that the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendment, and those thereafter, and the 12th Amendment, and the 11th Amendment, are understood in the light in which they were intended to apply. Therefore, we would not have ended up with Plessy v. Ferguson among the three worst decisions. We would not have ended up with Korematsu. We would not have needed Brown v. Board. Had the original intent of the 14th Amendment been followed and not eviscerated by a court rampaging in the uh, in the slaughterhouse cases, if we had had an actual Privileges and Immunities Clause working, uh, Privileges or Immunities Clause working at the time of the original decision in, in that case, it would have protected... Our minority populations against the overarching nature of the state. Now, let me let me go to some of the key issues as we consider the Second Amendment. Everybody knows we need someone who is a Second Amendment individual right uh, uh, believer, someone who believes that the Second Amendment has been incorporated via the incorporation process. We need a free exercise clause enthusiast. But one thing that doesn't get often talked about is we need somebody who believes in the Fifth Amendment when it comes to property rights. Matt Spaulding, agree? Uh, yes, very much so. And, and, but just to underscore what you just said a minute ago, um, the, the idea that the amendments are part of the Constitution, 
Madison's original intent, when you go back to his introduction of the of the uh, Bill of Rights, was that the those uh, amendments would not be at the end separated out, but they would be weaved into the original document as if they're part of the original document, to make that point even clearer. So you're absolutely right about that. But I would also underscore my general point. This is how politics works. You get the principle right. You get the idea right, and then everything else is the application. Same thing true is this case with, with judges. You have to understand the structure the intention, the original idea of the Constitution, which I think actually includes the understanding of rights you get from the Declaration of Independence, which is, in, is the other side of the Constitution. They go there, two sides of the same coin. If you understand that, and then you look at the structure and work it through, these other things follow. Uh, uh, the rights to keep and bear arm, rights to property, rights to religious liberty are all deeply inherent and necessary, and you can't have one, in my opinion, without the other one. As, as, as Madison said when he writes about property in the 1790s, not only does property mean physical property, but you actually have a property in your rights, which includes your religious liberty. So Agreed. They're understanding they weave all those things together. So you get that right, you get the big thing right, I think the other things... Um, logically follow. Now let me lead you further into the Ketledge uh, counter. <laughs> all right. uh, Wayside I have this feeling that see, you're a lawyer. You're taking me down a, a path. This is a I prosecutor am. here. I am. I am. Way, <laughs> Wayside Church versus Van Buren. Because when a judge dissents tells you as much about when he agrees with rights for the majority, when they dissent, what do they think is important to dissent about? Wayside Church brought a takings claim against Van Buren County in Michigan. After the county foreclosed on the church's summer youth camp, the, the property was worth $206,000, and they were $16,750 behind, and they, they foreclosed on the whole thing. Now, that raises a host of issues, but the panel majority refused to hear the claim, and they cited a Supreme Court decision that generally requires federal takings claims against state defendants to be litigated in state court. And Judge Kethledge dissented, writing, At this point, one senses we have lost our constitutional bearings. In this case, the defendant, Van Buren County, took property worth $206,000 to satisfy a $16,750 debt and then refused to refund any of the difference. In some legal precincts, that sort of behavior is called theft. But under the Michigan General Property Tax Act, apparently, that behavior is called tax collection. The question here is, or at least in my view should be, whether the county's action is a taking under the federal constitution. He said the answer was yes to me. It is obvious it is yes. And, right, right. and, and so I just, I look for people that will just say, look, obviously the framers would not allow a state to seize that and keep the surplus. Right. No, and, and, and you're, you're correct in pointing to dissents. I think we, uh, we, we just think about how important those are. Uh, especially now when you're looking at a new appointment, but also trying to figure out where people are and, and how they think. Um, there, there are different ways of doing dissents. Uh, one is the, the beauty of, of Justice Scalia's dissents, right? He knew he was going to be in the minority, and so his dissents were in, intended to be kind of a blast across the, <laughs> across the ages, uh, laying out a possible future. But the, the, the great dissents are the ones like you just mentioned here, where um, uh, in, 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 a person will write an, a, essentially a separate argument 
with the intention of making a, a, a serious argument to be picked up in other cases going forward, uh, which is what Supreme Court justices do, uh, uh, looking at other, uh, other cases that are coming before them. And a dissent can tell you just as much, uh, if not more, about what that, uh, that uh, judge, in this case potential justice, thinks about things. So I think you're absolutely right in pointing that out. That's, that, that is a great example. I've been teaching con law for 22 years, and my students will tell you I'm a legal realist, meaning that because we have so much to cover in a three-hour course, I tell them to skip the dissents unless they're Scalia. Uh, but, but that, and occasionally a Thomas dissent, because they've got to get the material down for the exam and the bar, et cetera. However, in picking a judge, that's a completely different thing. Tell me who you are. I'll look at your dissents, and I'll tell you who you are. That's when you stand up and say, I'm not going to go. So, the, 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 so, you know, we, we've uh, gone back and forth, the two of us, about uh, Masterpiece and the Snifla case. Yep. Here, here, here's an example. If you look at the Masterpiece case, you have a decision there by, uh, by Kennedy, but what goes on inside of that is, is the most interesting thing in many ways, between the dissents, and then there are several different concurrences. What's happening in those is you have a majority opinion, but then the, the real debate, which is pointing towards the future, because that that case did not decide everything to come, is uh, these interesting concurrences and mixes of people where you've got Kagan and Kennedy and Breyer arguing with Alito and Gorsuch, and they're all over the place. So the, what's the, the real movement for the future is, is told to you by things like dissents and concurrences, which make uh, amendments, and they're trying to define the majority opinion. What I found interesting about Masterpiece Cake Shop, you think it's a narrow decision. I think it's quite broad. Every court case is limited to the facts before it. That's the holding, and I have to right. teach my con. But what does the dicta say in the majority? And Justice Kennedy wrote, Our society has come to the recognition that gay persons and gay couples cannot be treated as social outcasts or as inferior in dignity and worth. For that reason, the laws and the Constitution can, and in some instances, must protect them in the exercise of their civil rights. The exercise of their freedom on terms equal to others must be given great weight and respect by courts. At the same time, the religious and philosophical objections to gay marriage are protected views, and in some instances, protected form of expression. As this court observed in Obergefell, the First Amendment ensures that religious organizations and persons are given proper protection as they seek to teach the principles that are so fulfilling and so central to their lives and faith. Nevertheless, while those religious and philosophical objections are protected, it is a general rule that such objections do not allow business owners and other actors in the economy and society to deny protected persons equal access to goods and services services under a neutral and generally applicable public accommodations law. He goes on to write, when it comes to weddings, it can be assumed that a member of the clergy who objects to gay marriage on moral and religious grounds could not be compelled to perform their ceremony without denial of his or her right to the free exercise of religion. This refusal would be well understood in our constitutional order as an exercise of religion, an exercise that gay persons could recognize and accept without serious diminishment to their own dignity. Yet if that exception were not confined, then a long list of persons who provide goods and services for marriages and weddings might refuse to do so for gay persons, thus resulting in a community-wide stigma inconsistent with the history and dynamics of civil rights laws that ensure equal access to goods, services, and public accommodations. That's all dicta, Matt Spaulding, and I think it is hugely important dicta. No, that's, 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 that's good stuff, Counselor, um, and good you bring that to the case. Uh, you're, you're right. I like that. The reason I think it's it's narrow is not in the general sense that this was a, a narrow, unimportant case. 
but it, but it was narrow in the sense, and I and I go back to, to my point, which is, you you know, there's a certain narrowness to it, um, in the sense that this could go different ways, and there's lots of signals that this could go different ways, and you see that in the fact that the, the concurring other justices are arguing at great length about what exactly that means. To say that there's this potentially this, you know, that there's a uh, we can't allow the rule to be swallowed. Uh, or I can't read this exception to swallow the rule. Um, that leaves room for the debate to come. Right? And that's why we uh, need, I, when I, we come I, back from a break. job setting it up the way he wanted to set it up, and I think the NIFLA case uh, underscores that. But but this is going to be, this is, I, I look at this more as a, a threshold case. It is. It's the beginning. Uh, it's the starting the terms. Now what's going to happen? I'll be right back with Matthew Spaulding talking about the starting gun going off on these cases and whether Judge Kethledge or Judge Kavanaugh or Judge um, Willett will carry forward. Welcome back, America, from the ReliefFactor.com studio. I am Hugh Hewitt. Thank you for listening to the Hillsdale Dialogue today. All things Hillsdale, available at hillsdale.edu. In fact, tune in tomorrow morning on MSNBC at 8 a.m. You'll see Dr. Larry Arn, president of Hillsdale College, joining me. Uh, Dr. Matthew Spaulding is the leader of the Kirby Center, Hillsdale Outpost of Reason in the Shadow of the Capitol and the Supreme Court on Capitol Hill. We've been talking this morning and probably will be talking for many weeks. I'll certainly be talking about it with Dr. Arn tomorrow morning on MSNBC about who will replace Justice Kennedy and what's it mean and whether it's uh, Judge Kennedy. Kavanaugh or Judge Ketledge, who I think are the front runners, Judge Amy Barrett, Judge Joan Larson, Judge Meg Ryan, Judge Amul Thapar, Judge David Strauss, Judge Don Willett. There are lots of great judges. We have to get it right. And I want to go to a factor, uh, Matt Spaulding. When Neil Gorsuch sat down in front of that committee and contended with, he won't have to do it this time, the, the rather moronic comments of, of Al Franken. He was just illiterate on matters constitutional he never got ruffled he was completely completely in command of his persona and his rulings and had gone through a lot of murder board how important that's not a quality that justice ever needs again but it's a quality you must have to get over the hurdle how do you weigh that Uh, I, i think it's absolutely important look what what is the what is the hope of democrats who want to stop this nomination well they can I'd pull in a few Republicans, you know, maybe uh, Collins or Murkowski. I think that's highly unlikely. They got to hold their guys, pull in a few. Their one hope they have is if the whole nomination hearing blows up. Uh, something comes out, uh, it turns in a way that the politics really bad, and that means that hearing is important. Uh, if you get somebody who goes in there unruffled through the whole thing, answers questions, puts up with some of their outlandish claims, I think they'll get through very successfully. And, you know, I think the one person we've, we haven't mentioned here is uh, Mitch McConnell. I mean, his job when the previous, in the Gorsuch nomination, and, and actually prior to that, preventing the previous one, his role here will be extremely important. And I think he's been playing for this for a lifetime. He knows what's at stake. He's been thinking about this. Uh, I've been talking to him about his, he knows his role in, in getting those judges in there, especially on the Supreme Court. So this will be very carefully done. Uh, they're going to start. You know, they're starting interviews next week. Uh, they'll get this decision uh, announced, uh, the, uh, the nomination announced before he leaves for Europe. I think we see these hearings in August, maybe September, um, and they're they've got a plan and they're moving forward. So the Democrats' only hope is, I think, is the, is the hearing itself 
becomes a, uh, a politically explosive event, and they're going to be up the ones who have to make it into that. And the nominee can respond and, and deal with it, and they've got to be remain level-headed, and I think they get through. That That is I, my assessment completely, which is why that quality of of being under fire and being in the media eye is going to matter so much in this when they pick. Now, I hope they don't wait until the week after next, although it's better I'm taking most of next week off, so if the nominee comes out the following week, I'm fine in a radio world. But I, I am curious about what you just said about the interviews. They had a lot of interviews when Gorsuch came up, among them uh, Keth Lidge and I believe David Strauss was interviewed, maybe Don Willett. Uh, I don't know if the par was. Well, do you think McCon- was interviewed, I think. He was. Do you think McConnell wants the par, and how much does that tilt it towards him? The Kentucky, I, I don't know. I, 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 um, this is just a speculation on my part. I'm, I think he's his, his guy. He'd like to see him there, but he knows what's at stake. He knows uh, they want to pick the best possible candidate, uh, and he wants to get him through. I think he knows his role. So he'll he'll want a candidate who can go to those hearings, who has a good record. He probably won't will want a candidate that doesn't have anything out there that will be too controversial. I mean, probably you know the one thing you know the the one outlier about Garrett, uh, excuse me, Barrett, um, is she is very openly critical of Roe v. Wade. Do they want that debate? Do they think that might go the wrong way? Do they want to play it safe? That's the kind of calculations where I think where I think McConnell will be. Um, uh, but but I think he will take whoever that is. They'll plan this out. They'll prep them, and they'll it it'll, it'll be his objective to make this as smooth as possible and as quickly as possible. Which you know they want to get him on on the court when the uh, court comes back in October. I believe they will get four or five Democrats, maybe more. Because I think Bill Nelson has to vote for them. I think Joe Donnelly has to. I got to give you the last minute. Do you agree with me? I, I, I think that's absolutely right. And I think many of these candidates could draw a number of uh, number of Democrats. I think the Republicans all stay. So I, I think you, I think it's going to turn out to be a pretty straightforward nomination uh, and confirmation. And the key here is who it is. And I think we're going to see a new court. Uh, and the Roberts court is going to actually mean something anew. And we're going to start taking down the administrative state and pressing through these things. The next thing we got to see is rebuilding the legislative branch. That's that's uh, next on our on our list. That's of next week's work. Constitutional government. That's next week's work. <laughs> Matthew Spaulding, thank you. 